Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota baseball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone! Touch them all, Joe Maurer! And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful game, Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Somebody asked me on Twitter yesterday, maybe two days ago, uh, Dear Derek, I'm wondering, do you, have, do you have some sort of side account under a pseudonym where you can just spew venom at the twins? I understand it's not really practical for you to do that on your main account, but like, is, is there, does that account exist somewhere? If so, I'd love to follow it. Thanks for your time. You said, yeah, it's at 1500 underscore Royce. No. <laughs> Very close. I said, yep, you can follow me at 1500ESPNJud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, been, he's been getting after it. I always good. love when you can, sense, you can sense by what he's saying on the radio and what he's saying on Twitter when he's about to drop a column that's you know, Zolgad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Polad needs to hold everyone accountable. Right. Or Polad needs to burn down Target Field. When somebody asked me if, that, if, if heads need to roll for this, like I think that's kind of gruesome, don't you? I, if you're gonna fire somebody, literally, they should bring a guillotine. Right. If you're gonna fire somebody, fire them. But to go Game of Thrones just because they're losing a couple baseball games seems a little ridiculous. I want you to tell me. I brought this theory up on our radio show, and I ran it by Judd, and he agrees with anything that involves venom and firing people. Yeah. So I want to, I want to run it by someone who's a little more uh, toward the middle on this. All right. I well, two things. Number one, I think with almost any other organization in sports, in the four major team sports, people get fired for sure midseason. When you've had four ninety loss seasons, you pop up mid pack in baseball mm-hmm. and then have some expectations and things start off historically bad in that next year. Whether it's warranted or not, the house is almost always cleaned. The GM gets fired, a coach gets fired. Um, a manager gets fired, whatever it may be. And they haven't done anything yet. Right. And my theory is, whether it's asking why haven't they pulled the trigger on firing someone right now or why, why might not they fire people to the extent that other organizations would down the road, you have to go back 30 years to find a GM or a manager that they brought in from outside the organization. It was mm-hmm. Andy McPhail back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the culture that they've created, when things are going well, it's fine. When you When you mostly hire and promote from within, and people are climbing up that ladder and going through the same pipeline. You look at the Twins cabinet, for instance, the front office cabinet on the baseball side, and even like Dave St. Peter, a lot of those guys were interns in the 80s or came up as scouts and then climbed the ladder, and they progressed over the course of 20 or 30 years. And it's mostly the same people. In fact, the only two they've really fired from the GM or the manager spot, which are two major figureheads for any baseball team, Bill Smith and Ron Gardenhire. 
and they felt so bad about firing those guys, they offered them jobs immediately (laughs) after firing them. Right. Bill, listen, this is a train wreck, but we're going to offer you something else that might suit you better. Mm -hmm. And it took him 30 days of of cooling off before he accepted it. With Ron Gardenhire, it took him a full year of fishing and drinking beer and, and blowing off steam. And my main point is, when you have that type of a pipeline, um, cozy, promote and hire from within type of a culture, when things are going well, it's great. You're all friends. You've known each other for 20 or 30 years, and and it's it's fun. You're you're working with your friends that you've built over the course of mm-hmm. however many years. Yeah. But when things are going poorly, it's really hard to divorce the guy that you've been working with for 20 or 30 years. Yeah. Like, you've probably been going to weddings for people for 20 or 30 years, and now you might have to fire them and make a business decision. It's a lot harder than if you're the Wilfs and you came in from New Jersey and you're just going to hire Mike Zimmer from over here and you never met him before and you're going to hire you, Rick Spielman for the first time. The poll ads going back 30 years have been extremely loyal, and this, and this has been the culture um, that makes it difficult for them to then, if, the, if that's the decision that needs to be made, to go through and make sweeping changes. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. So what's your question? Uh, my question is... Should they eschew the right. thirty-year relationships right. and burn okay. the building down? Okay. Basically? Okay. Well, okay. So here's and one. does that? I guess does that? Um, do you think that's a a valid explanation yes. of what's happening Absol- in the organization? Absolutely, I do. And I think it should be noted: Bill Smith was an awful GM and is, I think, a valuable person to have working for you. Sure. Not not in his role as general manager, but. In what he's doing now, I think Bill Smith adds value to the Twins. I think the same can be said of Terry Ryan. I'm no longer convinced he is the best equipped. I'm not convinced he's one of the top 30 people to wear the title general manager in baseball in the world. I'm, I'm not convinced of that. But there's not a person in that organization that would say he doesn't add some kind of value. I, I think like, I've heard the theory floated you know, by Pat Royce and and others that Terry will just walk away when this year's done. They won't, he won't make Jim Polad fire him. It'll just be oh, this is it. I'm done. I think that's I guess that's possible. I think you'd also want to see him stick around if you're the Twins. If you're saying okay, I'm vacating the general manager role, make him some sort of senior advisor, whatever it is. Just give him some kind of title so that he still keeps and maintains the relationships with all the scouts, all the scouting directors, all the general managers, guys for pulling trades but frankly i don't know if the twins would want him or i don't i should rephrase that i don't know if the twins should want him making these contract extension offers making these free agent signings big trades in the next two months maybe big well, trades that's, big, big maybe depending on let the value me of- let me uh, get to that second point then which is what would the timing look like if you decided right now today that you want to have a new manager and a new general manager in place for opening day next year. I could see the argument for making a move on a manager quickly because, hey, you know, Doug Mankiewicz is going to get a job offer from another organization this winter. We want to keep him. Okay, fine, if that's your guy. Or Tori Lovello is a hot managing prospect, and he'll be managing a team somewhere, whether it's the Red Sox or some other team. You don't pluck him now, you're going to lose him. Okay, or give Pers- Mankiewicz a three-month audition sure, sure. Leading, leading into the offseason or something, yeah. Personally, I would keep Paul Molitor, but if you're the Twins and you want to make a move on somebody, I could see the rationale for that. But if you are 
in late May deciding that your general manager is not the guy you want to try to take you from eh, also ran to, whoa, that team's a World Series contender. If you don't think Terry Ryan's that guy, do you still want him going through this trade deadline, this non-waiver trade dead period? Personally, I do. And I know that's reverse logic, but who else is going to come in, learn all of the prospects, learn sort of the direction of the organization, understand what they need to understand about those players in one month's time oh, in yeah. order to make the trades there's necessary. No there's there's almost no way like I've, there's a couple names and this is not this is not speculation that's that's linked to what the twins are thinking. I've just seen these two names thrown and these these two names make sense for for some team to bring these guys back in. Uh, well Ben Sherrington's not in baseball right now. He was the GM of the Red Sox for for a few years after Theo left. Before Dombrowski took over as president, yes, right? And things didn't go great. Now I, I I do believe they won a World Series under Ben Sherrington, but he made a lot of moves based on what ownership and people above him were forcing him to do as well. I think if you were to give him control over a baseball front office, you might see some some different strategy implemented. Uh, I've seen Ricey throw out the Jed Hoyer angle, who's the yeah. GM now of the Cubs, working underneath Theo Epstein. So if you were to right. say, Jed Hoyer, we'll make you president of baseball ops, you get to hire your own GM and then run that front office the way you see fit, that ain't going to happen with any team until the Cubs win a World Series. Jed Hoyer left San Diego to team up with Theo Epstein. So for Twins fans out there, Jed Hoyer, Jed Hoyer, he might be the next Tom Thibodeau or the next... Uh, well, Bruce Boudreaux is just a straight coach, but you get what I'm saying. Greg Popovich. They, yeah, it's yeah. more common in the NBA. The, you better hope for the Cubs to win it this October. Sure. Because he's not Twins just going to leave. He's not going to leave. Yeah, rooting for the Cubs if you're a Twins yep. fan. Twins fans rooting for Jed Hoyer to take over are not only rooting for Terry Ryan to be fired, but for the Chicago Cubs to win the World Series. Yes. It's a very bizarre combination. Hey, it um, could happen. I think, I don't think, uh, I think Paul's going to be the manager unless he decides that he's had enough and he just this just isn't for him anymore mm-hmm. for sure through the end of the year. I can't get a read on Terry. I think I don't think Jim Polad's going to fire him, which means if Terry wants to be the GM going forward through the rest of the year, I'm saying he won't fire him in season. They might have a discussion after the year. But sure. To me, if Terry's no longer the GM, 95 times out of 100, if not more, he steps down. He doesn't get fired, despite how bad it's been. Yes. I mean, it's been six years of mostly terrible baseball, except for the one year where you were barely above 500. And because of the loyalty and the relationship that goes back 30 years and the trust, they've got blinders on, and they just feel they almost feel too bad about potentially making that decision. That's my read on it. Sure. So. Well, keep in mind, I mean, the Polads didn't own the team that whole time. Um, Terry predates Jim Polad in the organization. No, but but Carl Polad is the one that that put Terry Ryan in place mm-hmm. back in the mid 1990s. Sure. sure. So, and, and Terry came up as a scout and then he was I believe the scouting director or mm-hmm. in charge of baseball ops in some way before he was the GM. And he's in the scouting hall of fame. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Although as uh as he is sort of self-effacing in a lot of areas, he will be quick to point out that he wasn't a hall of fame worthy scout. He's probably in the scouting hall of fame because he rose to become a GM. And so Maybe that's true. Um, I think Terry Ryan is much brighter than he seems to get credit for in a lot of different circles. I also think Terry Ryan has made a lot of first-guess mistakes in his second stint as general manager. Um, How about the right fielder last night in the game? Sure. 
Right, and and that's also a Molitor decision, but that's a Terry plus a Molitor decision. That's a first and, guess mistake. Yes, moving Miguel Sano to right field. And again, everyone's ripping on Miguel Sano for stopping on that play, and he didn't point like Delman Young did a few years ago for someone else to get it, but he just stopped running on the play. And people blame Miguel for showing a lack of effort, and I agree. But I mean, who put him out there? Yeah, I blame the Twins for putting him out there, and I blame Miguel for not taking it seriously. Sure, it can be both. He's. Uh, You've got to try. I, I wrote this in my Five Thoughts column yesterday. Did he crack a beer open at one point? <laughs> sitting on the warning track. I I can understand and accept when physical errors happen. You booted a ground ball, well, that's going to happen on a certain percentage of time. Physical errors in baseball are inevitable, and so therefore, for me, they're acceptable. But mental errors, and when you stop focusing, or you don't know how many outs there are, you get bored, whatever it is, or yeah, you're yeah. tired of being a right fielder, or your team is 20 games below 500, and so you don't think you have to give your max effort. That's two things: focus and like attention, plus effort. Those are two things that you get to control 100 percent of the time. And I frankly am never willing to give somebody a pass for that. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to come off as old crotchety. Baseball purist, old school curmudgeon here, hosting a podcast, ironically. But I am saying that that's not okay. There's no place for that in baseball. Uh, one of my friends in the press box actually said, you got to bench Miguel Sano right now. Pull him out of the game. Do not give him his next plate appearance. Now, Molitor didn't go that route, and he didn't sound that irate or, or even that upset after the game. But uh, I think that if this team were competitive – you'd be having the Miguel Sano conversation under a much bigger microscope. But if if this team were competitive, I think the culture would feel different and he would be running hard on that play. Maybe. So it's it's all that's why this is hard to evaluate. All of this is so intertwined. Mm-hmm. It's uh it's cart before the horse, chicken, egg, it's all of those clichés and you can't parse apart. There's been twins teams in the past where you look at the 2010 Twins. Mm-hmm. They won like 94, 95 games. And you can you can point at the one or two things, man. If that thing right there were different, or if they just had that one more starting pitcher, if they still had a Johan Santana, they would have beat the Yankees. Two thousand six. Oh man, if Francisco Liriano didn't need Tommy John surgery with six weeks to go in the season, with this team, there's so many things that are layered on top of each other and intertwined together. Um, uh, the the other thing that goes with this too is the the Brian Dozier stuff. Yeah, Brian, Brian Dozier is having a terrible season. Yeah, awful. He's, I believe at the time of this recording, he's now under 200 batting average. He's yep. not getting on base. The power's not there anymore. He's got four home runs. You thought he might be a 25 or 30 home run guy, and we're mm-hmm. sitting at the quarter pool. He's got four home runs. Yeah. And yet he tells you guys, I was out of town. I was, uh, I was knee-deep in some Chicago deep-dish pizza. Very good. So I didn't hear this on the fly, but... Uh, what did he tell you guys about? He feels as good now at the plate that he's than he's ever felt yeah. in his career. Let me add some at con- one ninety nine. Let me add some context to that. He has hit a few balls hard. You know that that should have been double to the gap that Kevin Pillar made a great running and diving catch. Um, that's I don't want to say it's indicative of Dozier's season because it's not like he's been a great hitter and just getting tremendously unlucky, but he has been pretty unlucky in it's some cases. It's been 11 cases. months, though. I get 11 it. Months. I'll, get, the- I'll get to that. And he said, just for some context, he said that's sort of the way things are going, and and he said, I feel like I'm hitting the ball as well. You know, I feel as good as I, as I ever have. Let me pause that 
really quickly because Brian Dozier is one of the more uh, – we've talked about this in the past, but I'll try and put the best word on it. Defiant? Defiant is almost right. I mean, maybe that's a little bit too strong, but in that direction. But I'll give him more yeah. credit than that. Because <laughs> he has, let's say, he has been a great player in the past, and I think it's in there. But he is so defiant with anyone who suggests he's struggling. When I asked him in the past about, you know, a second half slump, and he basically says, "What slump?" Dude, you're hitting 220. Or I'll say, "Hey, you know, you're you're a great fastball hitter, and like balls up seem to be a great." strength for you how, you know how did you capitalize or how how would you magnify that strength to become such a good pull hitter and he'd be like i don't know what you're talking about i can hit all kinds of pitches and i'm like no, all right man. i don't know what to i don't i don't think it's my place really to then be combative with him but anytime i've talked to him in the past about his approach or his great strengths versus his weaknesses which are now being magnified he is not only unwilling to acknowledge them, he'll go so far as to say, like, there's no such... He didn't slump the past it's few years. He'll say, it's a, the game is about scoring runs, and even if I'm not getting on base all the time, I'm scoring runs. I know how to do that better than most people. So you guys are blowing it out of proportion just because my batting average dropping. And yeah, I'm not blowing your batting average up. I'm talking about your on-base percentage, right. your power, the fact that you can't go the other way, the fact that with first and second, nobody out in the eighth inning of a game that you trail by two runs... You get a 3-1 fastball on the outside corner and roll over it to third base for a double play and snuff out the rally. That's what I'm talking about. And Brian Dozier seems pretty unwilling to go down that path. So that's why, to me, it's interesting that Terry Ryan sat down for a little heart-to-heart with him. Tory Hunter calls him for an hour, and they have a heart-to-heart. Tory was about five weeks late on that phone call, by the way. Thanks for checking in, Tory, from retirement. Right. Yeah, Tory. Hey, man, how's the season going? Oh, you haven't seen? I think Tory Hunter just placed a phone call yesterday to Marco Rubio, too. Hey, let me give you a few tips on those debates with Donald <laughs> yeah, right. Trump. Right. Sorry, I bowed out about a month ago. I'm not sure if you heard. So that's, to me, it's all interesting. And then Paul Molitor, by the way, also had a little chat with him. He's going to bench him. I'm curious to see. Now we're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon. I'm curious to see if that's a long term, uh, not not long term, but like, hey, a couple days, clear your head, work on your approach with Tom Brunanski, and then we'll get you back in the lineup. Or if it's uh, well, he was he was just sitting on Monday, just a day. He'll be back in on Tuesday. Well, people who are listening to this podcast already know this answer, but I'm really curious to see how the Twins treat this the next two weeks. Is Brian Dozier willing? to change and adjust and adapt, which the game demands. I mean, pitchers and opposing scouts and video and analytics are just too strong today to be so bullheaded and continue to say, nope, every once in a while, someone's going to make a mistake with an inside fastball. I'm going to crush it into the bleachers. I think he might have spent too much time around his buddy Josh Willingham a few years ago. Just straight pull. Yeah. Don't worry about anything to the right of the shortstop who shaded over. And I, I look at some of the other notoriously great pull hitters, and a lot of them are left-handed guys that you think of the Jim Tomies, even David Ortiz, just, and, and he's a, a solid uh, opposite field hitter too, Jason Giambi. All of these guys had major shifts implemented, but they could still hit to opposite field. They weren't going to do it on a 50-50 basis. I'm not talking about you know, yeah. spraying hits all over the field. And nobody is. But Dozier is... It's not even like he's pretty good up the middle. He's a great pull hitter, pretty good up the middle. Look at him this year. He has three hits to the right of second base Mm -hmm. or to the right of the second baseman. Mm -hmm. And I want to say maybe only a few more up the middle. 
And so it's not even it, – I don't understand why he's – He's defiant when it comes to his average. He's defiant. The general manager came out the other day and said, we have to fix him. And right. it's like he bristled at that. Right. It's like there's a some kind of a deep-rooted insecurity about criticism. Or or I don't understand why he can't just look in the mirror and say, yeah, you know what? A lot of smart people are right. I should probably adjust my approach. Do you want to be Josh Willingham or Dustin Pedroia is the question. Sure. And it's really, at this point, it's a poor man's Josh Willingham, too. Yeah. Well, Torrey Hunter was the ultimate at scoffing at anyone who said that he wasn't a perfect baseball player, you know, and and it worked for him for 20 years. He was a big leaguer and universally loved wherever he went, basically, by his teammates and and by fans of those teams. I I just think there's something – there's this certain inherent confidence that you have to have to get to the level, level of competition that Brian Dozier has reached. I think there's a natural selection process through the minor leagues that the 750 people that open the season on a major league roster are supremely confident in their athletic abilities. I think that I don't think it'd be a real stretch to say they're in the top, you know, 5% of the population in terms of self-belief, whether that's whether that's being ignorant or just really self-aware and still Having the presence of mind to be confident in yourself? I can't say. I don't know. The only one who doesn't qualify, I think I've told you this story, Brian Dunsing. Oh, yeah. The most insecure professional athlete I've ever met with. Well, but not in like a, not in like a, oh, I'm scared I'm going to fail way, but more like a, ha, how am I a major league? That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Like he struck out, he was starting a few years ago and it was like a 4th of July game. I remember it being 95 degrees and so his fastball had some extra life and he winds up striking out nine batters or seven or nine batters, which is rare for him. He wasn't sure. a strikeout guy. And I was asking him, so, wow, that's your stuff must have felt good today. And he's like, I, I have no idea why they were swinging and missing. <laughs> he goes, I'm, I'm not that good. And, and, he, <laughs> and he followed up. He said something. He, he said, my philosophy is just if you look at the batting averages, even the good hitters are only hitting 300, which means – if I just throw it over and they make contact, they're probably going to fail seven times out of ten. Like, yeah. Yep. Yeah. You nailed it. Exactly. You got it. That's pretty funny, actually. But other than that, everyone else is confident. Yeah, Brian they're Dozier all like the only insecure guy. Well, and 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 I don't know if it's insecurity or or whatever it is. I don't mean to play like armchair psychologist here. I'm not trying to say that I can you know solve all of Brian Dozier's mental approach problems, anything like that. Trust me. There are people that are much more well-equipped to do that and that are working with Dozier to try to do that. But I do think that there's something to be said about this self-belief of, no, this is what works for me. I appreciate your advice. You know, Tom Brunanski, I appreciate what you're telling me and doesn't matter. You know, I you work for me, basically. I don't work for you. Help me become this, you know, pull hitter, home run hitter. I think I'm, – I'm curious now. There's two ways this thing can turn. I'm glad we're doing this podcast today. I'm glad we talked about this. I am too, Derek. I am too. This has been a lot of fun, is this, Phil. Is this a moment right are now? Are we going to hug it out? <laughs> there are two ways that this thing can turn, in my opinion. One, we look at this as a sort of a seminal moment in the new Brian Dozier, a new career path where he goes back to being a great second baseman. He picks up where we thought he would go – Base running, I mean, he's a fast guy and a smart guy. You don't see him steal a lot of bases. You don't see him do a lot of these other things. A lot of what he's done is 
or a lot of what we think about him is sort of based on reputation. Reputation as a good fielder, reputation as a home run hitter, reputation as one of these just solid everyday grinder kind of guys. All right. I wrote a I wrote a column on 1500ESPN.com that I did the math. I went back and looked at his numbers starting at the All-Star break last year. Un Usable. I, I don't need to go into him now, but an unusable player, the kind of guy that belongs. Some home runs, which sure. you would say, well, what about the 15 home runs over that period? Yeah. That's fine. I mean, What like, about getting out 80% of the time? Scott Stahoviak hit 15 home runs over the course of a year at one point. So what are you saying? Choy. What are you saying? Doesn't make them valuable players. But that's what he's – Right. That's – I'm shocked at this. Mm-hmm. I honest to God, I, I thought – my opinion of him a year ago is so much different than it is right now. Yes. On the field, the things he says, sort of the, the defiant denial attitude, this is my approach. And you can't tell me. You're trying to tell Brian Dozier, I understand that you're confident in your approach, but the grass is green. He's saying, no, the grass is blue. No, I'm looking at the grass. You're hitting 190. You're yeah. not Unless you think you're the unluckiest hitter in baseball, and you and I will keep bringing up batting average, I'm a, I hate batting average as yeah. a measurement. I yeah. use batting average on the radio and on podcasts because it's still just a common way to uh, what I, sh- I should almost say WOBA or yeah, but uh, it's or, not. That's not going to describe to a wide enough swath of people. Right. Like you, hear, someone, anyone goes up and hears he's hitting 199. That guy must be having a tough go of it. Yes, yeah, yes. he is. But if you tell him, well, he's got a 237 on base, they're like. Uh, I think some people go with you. Or his suboptimal WOBA, that, then they go <laughs> even further off. Well, I'll give you one stat geek sort of – I'm going to go down that path real quick here. Okay. BABIP is crossing over into the mainstream, batting average on balls in play. And I've seen this thrown out that Brian Dozier, I think, at the recording of this podcast, has a 219 BABIP, which in a vacuum you say, oh, wow, he's just horribly unlucky. He's right. That's terrible luck. The league average BABIP is somewhere between 290 and 310 any given year. So – um, you know, he, once that normalizes back to where it should be, then he'll no longer be a 200 hitter. He'll be a 250 hitter getting on base with some power. Sure. Nothing to see here. Right. Except for the fact that Dozier is one of the lowest everyday BABIP hitters in baseball. His yeah. career BABIP is like 265. And that happens when all you want to do is hit fly balls to left field and get under them and pop up yeah. in the infield. So his... Other guys who have a 219 BABIP, you'd say normalize that, get rid of the luck factor, bring the BABIP up to 290 or 300 or even like 340. Joe Maurer is well above 300. Mm -hmm. He's a line drives guy. Line drives ground balls go through at a much more successful rate than fly balls. Brian Dozier, if you normalize his BABIP, we're still talking about 250, 260, 265. And that's not even accounting for the fact that pitchers are pitching him much differently now than they were two years ago. So I would say his approach... Right now, combined with pitchers not giving in to where he wants a fastball or a curveball thrown, mean that his 265 career BABIP is probably more like 240 or 250 right now with Maybe. a little bit of bad luck. Maybe. I, I Yeah, that's what I say. I don't think he's – I think he's getting unlucky, but I don't think it's the reason that he's yeah. been unusable since July. I think to get back to a point that I was making and just tie a bow on that, I think there's two ways that this can go. I think if Dozier does adjust and Bruno's able to work with him to look, I'm not saying hit every ball to right field, but if you get a three, one fastball and I asked Dozier, you think about after the fact, you maybe take that pitch and maybe hope for a better one on full count. No man, hundred percent of the time I swing at that pitch 100% of the time. Okay. If that's the case, 
Mr. Dozier, take that pitch to right field. You can't pull that pitch with regularity. You've proven that you can't pull that successfully often enough to make it worthwhile. And, by the way, I don't love situational hitting. I think we tend to play it up, play up how important it is. Important to me at the forefront is avoiding an out, keep the chain moving. But first and second, nobody out. You cannot ground out right on third base and let Josh Donaldson turn a double play. You just can't in that situation. Um, so two ways this can go. He either gets better at, okay, 3-1 fastball on the, on the black outside. Fine, I'm going to dump that into right field, especially if they're shifting me heavy to the left side of the infield. Or up the middle at the very least. Doesn't Shoot matter. Up the middle yeah, for a ground ball or something. Try to avoid an out any way you can, and if that has to involve right field, be open to that possibility. Right now, he's allergic to right field, and I don't get it. So that's one way this thing could go. If, on the other hand, these changes don't take hold, the tweaks that Paul Molitor talked about and Tom Brunansky talked about yesterday, the tweaks in his batting approach. They're not changing his mechanics. They're just changing his thought process. And if that thought process does not yield results and he continues to be as productive as he has been for the last, what are we at now, one one month, two months, so six weeks this season, seven weeks this season, plus the second half of July last year, August, September, and whatever, the first week of October. Mm Mm-hmm. We're talking about a long time here. This is getting close to a full season's worth of plate appearances. Yeah, pitchers have pitchers have tipped their cap to you. Said you're a good hitter. You're amazing when we throw the wrong pitch. Right. So we have done some extra scouting on you. Mm-hmm. We respect the hell out of you. We've done some extra scouting on you. Try to beat us with this pitching strategy. Yep. Your move for right. the last eleven months. Yes. Yeah. Your move ex- is exactly right. And that's we're talking. We're coming up on five hundred plate appearances now that he's been. What I would consider unusable. I mean, there have been stretches when he's been good, but 500 plate appearances with the numbers that Dozier has up, does not. you can be the most elite center fielder in the history of baseball, and you can play shortstop at the same time. Play them both. Play both premium defensive positions. And that batting line that he's put up in those 481 plate appearances is just not usable. So here's what I'll say. And this is a bit of a bomb, maybe, because I haven't seen other people saying this, really. If that doesn't work, you should send Brian Dozier to the minor leagues. He is not hitting at a rate that is excusable to continue to say, yeah, he's our everyday second baseman. If that's the case, if he can't improve, Jorge Polanco should be your everyday second baseman. Or Eduardo Nunez. It doesn't matter Brian Dozier is not capable of that. He has minor league options left, so he could be sent out to the minor leagues. Well, but you're taking away your team leader. A guy can only lead if he's producing. I've heard plenty of players say that in the past. If you are not putting up numbers on the field. That's why it was so important that Torrey Hunter had a you know reasonably successful year last year. If the players in the clubhouse sense that you are sort of hollow in your message of working hard and producing and trying to win for the team, it's just not going to carry any water. Unless you get to the point where you're Jim Tomey or Jason Giambi yeah. and you just, you've, you're so, and Tory, I think Tory in retrospect, if he were a part-time player, Jason Giambi with the Indians or with the Rockies, mm. his leadership still would have carried weight. I think now, so. Now, if Giambi was out there overexposed every single day and, and 
coming to the plate 600 times and failing, as Brian, it would have been harder for him to lead. As Brian Dozier is right now. Correct. Now, here's another message it would send. I'm not about doing things to quote-unquote send messages, even though I recognize that's a fun narrative in sports media. Terry Ryan said the other day that there can't be any comfort in the clubhouse. I don't want any player's comfort. Uh, I don't want anyone feeling comfortable with where we're at right now. That's he ironic, said, by the he way. He said, I want no comfort, none. Yes, I think he recognized the irony in saying that, too, because here's a guy who has not had great job performance and should be very <laughs> comfortable in his job um, security, I'll say. Now, I heard that quote, and it didn't strike me as funny at first. I just thought, mm, okay, yeah. Don't want comfort. Players got to earn their spot. You're thinking guys like Oswaldo Arcia. If they've, God, they've really made him prove it. Um, Eduardo Escobar. They took a shortstop job twice after he earned it from the other guy and gave it to other people who didn't earn it. Eduardo Escobar, I'm not saying he's an all-star Hall of Fame shortstop, but like he earned the job twice. It was taken from him twice, and he earned it back a third time. Now, I'm, I'm just saying that there's a guy who shouldn't feel comfortable. There's a guy who's been shown in the past that you've got to earn your keep but then i was thinking about it and it's like man that's a that's a that statement rings hollow and it's so disingenuous to say i don't want any comfort in there just look around the room at the veterans who have had past production had past performance but must be entirely comfortable in their job joe mauer kurt suzuki kevin jepson even Trevor Plouffe, definitely Brian Dozier. Just go up and down this list. Ricky, Nolasco, where do you want me to stop? Miguel Sano right now. Miguel Sano is comfort in the fact that they think so highly of him that they're going to throw him out to right field and just nothing matters. Then again, in fairness, uh, the Rochester Red Wings roster also has a limit on it. You can right, only send right. so many guys I down. I get it. I get it. Then you got to kick some of those guys. Like they, Let's say they sent Miguel Sano down. Look at what their five-man outfield would be. Right. So no, Adam Brett Walker, Max Kepler, Eddie Rosario, and Byron Buxton. Where are the five guys pieces? you hope were going to be part of your September stretch run right. at the end of the season. I just Ridiculous. I don't get the comfort statement. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, I, I get what Terry Ryan was trying to get at, but all I'm, I'm just defending myself here for the inevitable backlash of people who say it's ridiculous that you're even considering sending Brian Dozier to the minors because, frankly, I don't think it's ridiculous. There's a person, a player, who's been so comfortable since the start of last year. And we should mention, we've done a lot of ripping on Brian Dozier. Hands down, the 2015 first-half MVP. Number one with a bullet. The most important player for the Twins. The most important reason that they were in a spot to be contenders down the stretch. I'm not taking that away from Brian Dozier. He was an all-star. Yes, he was an injury replacement, but he was an all-star no less. And I'm not trying to say that this guy doesn't have any talent or ability. He's not a good player. He is. That's what has to make it doubly frustrating for the Twins that it's not gone well over the past 500 plate appearances. I have a couple more quick questions, but first Let's tell our it. listeners about your mailing list if they haven't subscribed to the uh, Five Thoughts columns. I will do that as quickly as I can. If you are listening to a podcast this far in in a season that has just entirely gone off the rails and the Twins are non-competitive and frustrating and embarrassing, may God help you. <laughs> I think you are just the kind of masochist who would appreciate my Five Thoughts columns. Uh, after a 
game last night. I you know write the whole column, try to take away five quick takeaways with some analysis. Find that on 1500ESPN.com, and if you want that regularly in your inbox, just subscribe. Each column has one of those links. Plug in your email. I'll do the rest. Uh, two quick questions for you. Let's hear them. Number one, did anonymous Twins player in the clubhouse have any right whatsoever to corner Dick Bramer a couple homestands ago and call him out? Dick Bramer, who, by the way, the single main criticism of Dick Bramer among Twins fans and outsiders is too big of a homer and or uh, doesn't tell it like it is to the extent that the fans want. Company spokesman is the the criticism I hear. When the company that you're working for is paying $30 million a year or more to partner with the professional sports team, you're not going to go on live TV and fillet that team. Okay, So the Uh expectation is that you're going to be more positive. Mm -hmm. I thought that was ridiculous. I don't know which player it was, but for crying out loud, if the announcers in the booth – have to patronize fans with the worst team in baseball and paint rosy pictures for three hours, then we should just not have broadcasters. Just run a silent game for three hours with some crowd ambience. Crowd noise would be nice. Pe- Mike the peanut guy up or something. <laughs> I thought that was so stupid when I saw that story come out a couple days ago. Uh, I don't have a good answer for you because I don't know the player. I haven't done any digging on that story. Um, I will. I, how about this? I'll report back. Once I find out a little more yeah, on that story, go find out who the anonymous player uh, was. Bert was apparently under some pressure too. Uh, he he was he came under fire a little bit for questioning Glenn Perkins for saying that uh, Perkins should be pitching. I think that's a little more ridiculous. Saying a guy should pitch through an injury in a season in which your team is 156 million games yeah. below 500. Well, that and that's my second question, okay, which is the I, I know Jim Suhan wrote a column in the Star Tribune calling out Glenn Perkins and Phil Hughes mm-hmm. for not caring enough and not grinding through arm discomfort. Here's what I don't really understand. The second half of last year, Glenn Perkins clearly not healthy, velocity dipping, the sharpness in the slider is gone for 2 months. Maybe more than that. It was it was two straight months for sure, and maybe even a little bit before the performance dipped off uh, before the All-Star break. And he's out there grinding away, giving up a ton of runs, blowing saves, trying to grind through it at whatever percent he was, 50 or 60%. They missed the playoffs by three games in large part because he grinded that out mm-hmm. and didn't pull himself out. So people last year ripped him for being selfish or whatever word you want to use and not pulling himself out of these games and going on the disabled list, you're killing the team. And now he's going to get ripped because he's less than a hundred percent throwing 91 miles an hour instead of 95. Like which you got to pick one or the other to me. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to rip a guy for, uh, for raising his hand and saying, yeah, my shoulder doesn't feel right. I'm throwing five miles an hour below my max from last year. Yeah. Now, could you rip him for, not having surgery in the off season or whatever it may be, or rip him for when he's healthy for giving up, whatever it is. Sure, those are fair arguments, but this is such a hypocritical argument to me. I wrote a column defending Phil Hughes, actually. I, I read Brian Murphy's column, and Brian's a good friend of mine, and I honestly thought he did a great job with that column. I thought it was very well written, which is true to Brian Murphy, okay. if you follow him as a columnist. That was one of the great fillet jobs in sports writing history, I think. And, by the way, 20 games under 500, it's more of like a collection of things. It's not, you know, a guy goes 75 pitches, he's cruising and pulls himself out of the game, basically. You know, the biggest, most heinous crime in baseball history. It's it's an accumulation of, it's death by paper cuts for the Twins right now. Yeah. And I wrote a column defending Hughes. I think the smart thing to do is to go with the better reliever. In theory. Me too. 
but, but you don't have a, your bullpen sucks. Right? The theory is only go so far as the bullpen that your front office constructed this winter, which is crap, and they are overused, underperforming, and the Twins have used them. They've relied on them as a big crutch this season, and that crutch is broken, leaving the Twins at the record that they're at. It's not the only problem, but we talked about it all winter. This bullpen's probably not good enough, and their late-inning trio of Glenn Perkins, Kevin Jepsen, and Trevor May has gone about as badly as you could have possibly expected. Like, you couldn't have scripted how badly this has gone. Kevin Jepsen's been awful. Trevor May had a nice little run, and now he's pitching in the fourth inning of a blowout game just to kind of get his stuff back. And Glenn Perkins has been on the shelf since April 11th. That It could not have gone worse for the Twins in those regards. So um, some of that's bad luck, I guess, but... Also some bad planning that went along with it. And starters, relievers, fielders, hitters, base runners, and paying attentioners. It's not going so well for the Twins right now. But uh, besides all of that, besides those aspects of the game of baseball, things are great. I'd say things are going just fine for the Twins. Stay tuned for 60-second AP News headlines.